I'm Laura, aka Biceps, personal trainer and soon-to-be-published author of Lift Yourself, out July the 25th. I believe that discovering health and fitness, and weightlifting in particular, has the power to change your life. It did mine. I found the power of lifting weights completely transformed my own personal body image, from wanting a thigh gap to feeling proud of my strong and athletic figure. After years of crazy diets and not feeling good enough, I finally felt physically successful. And I can't begin to describe how empowering it is to pick up something you didn't think you could. That feeling of ambition will transfer into your daily life and will have the habit of making you feel like you can achieve whatever you set your mind to, if you put in the work and have enough patience to see out the process. Ultimately, I believe that strength doesn't come from what you can do. It comes from overcoming the things you once thought you couldn't. I'll be exploring this idea every week, celebrating extraordinary men and women who share their stories of resilience, lifting others, and the challenges they faced along the way. Welcome to Biceps and Banter. I'm super excited to be partnering with Fitbit for this series. I'm officially obsessed with my Fitbit from tracking my sleep quality every night to monitoring my effort in workouts and general low intensity activity throughout the day. I genuinely love the brand. For me, having an awareness of this kind of health data really does help me to lead a healthier, more active life, which is very important to me. I have found that using my Fitbit watch and having the app on my phone can help give you the motivation to track your movement and supports you in pursuing a more balanced and healthy lifestyle. And remember, if you're not assessing, you're just guessing. Okay, so legend, welcoming to Biceps and Banter is um, all-round badass Amy Fuller. What's happening? Good afternoon. Uh, what isn't happening? That's a question, that Laura. Is, that is a good question. For those of you uh, listening that aren't yet au fait with the Fuller life, Miss Amy Fuller, um, she is an actual real-life Olympian. That's that is correct. I am a real one. <laughs> so she she has Olympic Olympic ring and everything, which is um which is pretty cool. So she is a British Olympic snowboarder, and so you represented Great Britain at the twenty fourteen uh, and twenty eighteen Winter Olympics. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got to being a, a British Olympic snowboarder? Yes, uh, it started age four on a dry slope. In Bromley. Big up um, Bromley. Big up Bromley dry ski slope. Oi, oi, oi. Unfortunately, it's not there anymore. Started with skiing, age eight. I have family in Canada. I yeah. tried snowboarding for a day. I may have ended up throwing the board in frustration. Right, at the age should, of eight, Amy I, Fuller, diva. <laughs> Signs of diva. <laughs> I, threw, uh, I went snowboarding with my mum and my cousin, age 12, May have decided to finally change codes, hung up the skis, swapped to a board. Is that a big thing then, uh, going from ski to snowboard? Well, Does they, everyone just look at each other, give them side eye on the slope? It is an all-inclusive community, but there is a real difference in skill and how you ride a set of skis to how you ride okay. a snowboard. So um, that was quite a big hop. It was nothing that I ever thought of as in like, oh, I'm going to become a professional snowboarder. I've just always loved sport. Yeah. So it started with skiing, 
Also motocross. I had yeah. a quad bike age four. Of course you did. Motocross bike age six. Um, competed in the British Championships for motocross uh, age eight. Got second. How do you com- age eight? Yeah, I know. When I th- when I think about it now, I'm like, wow, that's really. So hang on, really they let you young. go on a motorbike, little yeah. Amy at eight. Well, I say they, so I guess that would be my my mum and dad. Um, my dad. <laughs> yes, has- Chris. Come on, <laughs> you've even met Chris. Uh, my Chris dad is a legend. My dad has a huge passion for bikes. Um, my mum's quite sporty, so I used to rollerblade with her, um, did a bit of gymnastics with my mum. Um, they were never the pushy parents. It was always just a part of what we did was being active, being outside. And I think the cross of gymnastics and motocross, so reading lines and transition in motocross, uh, learning to tumble <laughs> and flip, you know, you combine yeah. the two and essentially you have the perfect combination for a snowboarder. Wow. So age 12, you made the transition to boarding. Then what happened? I got noticed age 16. I badgered my mum uh, <laughs> probably for about half a year to send me on a summer camp in the States, uh, okay. Oregon. Yeah. And it was on that one week I was there for my 16th birthday, uh, I got noticed. As it happened, the person who was training me, she was a snowboarder for Roxy. Amazing. And she recommended me to Roxy. Came home from school one day, had this random phone call um, from the Roxy European team manager, Stina Brunkeldes, at the time. Wow. She's from Norway. She got second in the Olympics in Nagano in 98, I believe. Wow. Or was it 2002? They invited me onto a camp and right. it's, it snowballed from there. And I've been with Roxy for Excuse the pun. 11 years. Wow. And, um, been doing it professionally for nine years. But in that first camp, I then got recommended to the GB junior team. Wow. Went on to the GB junior team. I was still at school. I did my A-levels. was really quite a tough transition juggling both A-levels and the snowboarding. Yeah. I was so passionate about the snowboarding. I put absolutely everything into it every time I had that moment on snow. And I think that's what's maybe different about us as British snowboarders is we don't have mountains on our doorsteps. So when you are on snow, you make the most of every minute, every hour and every day that you have out there. So I think it makes us as British athletes hungrier because it's not on our doorstep. It's like if you want to make it in snowboarding, you've got a window of two years to be able to be successful enough in the contest that you can get to so you can earn money from the contests, yeah. create a name in snowboarding, so then you can get, you know, a bigger bigger funding, bigger sponsorship, so then you can go full time. So I hammered those two years while yeah. still being at school. Wow. And then I went full time on on the G B freestyle team, which is the main uh main GB team so Abs- yeah absolutely amazing so just like to to have a 10 year career from that age in something that I guess as a a, a girl grown up in Romley it's like cool runnings isn't it it's the Jamaican bobsleigh yeah. team that like you it's just not something that you have access to but something you had such a natural talent in you were like right I'm going for it and I think that's what was really different about snowboarding um I've always loved sport I've been passionate about any form of movement and in particularly now I'm I'm a huge fan of um you know yoga and all, all these different types of yeah. of fitness just just movement in general is is my passion 
And snowboarding, for me, I loved it. So I think that really is what, what is different. That's what's been so cool through the transition of my career is doing something that I started purely for the love of it and then turning it into a career yeah. is really surreal. So what was, your fir- what was your first memories of your first big competition? When did you start to feel the pressure? So I'm in Team GB now. I have to, I have to really perform. For me, it was about using every contest as an opportunity to showcase my skills. One thing that has been so important is to ignore the outside pressures and focus purely on myself and what I wanted to achieve. The minute you let the outside influences come in and those pressures build on top of you is when you can lose love for it. So turning up at a contest, for me, it's always been about the run I'm going to do and the best way of performing it. And is there support in the team in terms of, obviously you go out and you compete in the Olympics as a team, but it's very much an individual sport. So is there that support and community amongst you or is it kind of you're you're on your own, in your own head at that time? It's a real mixture. Um, You know, Team GB, we go out there to the Olympics and it's a really unique experience being able to walk out into that stadium, into that opening ceremony. You're putting on the Team GB kit and the sense of pride is phenomenal. And when you're out there as a team, you you really are a team. But when it comes to performance, it's you, the start line, and your own mental capacity Mm. to deal with the pressures. It's almost as if you have to switch off everything else and forget the opening ceremony uh forget the fact that uh you know the sports minister's watching you david beckham andy murray are tuning sure. in <laughs> you know the tweets you're getting that the, the exposure through all these different channels it's you have to switch that off and hone into you yeah because it's you and nobody else at the start line yeah at this stage of of your of your competing how has your um, how has your performance evolved? Because it's it's style, isn't it? It's style yep. slope style. Yeah, correct. Yes, get me. <laughs> um, how how do you win? How do you how do you get points for this? For someone who's never okay. seen this style of snowboarding, is it a race? Is it on creativity? So I do two disciplines. I do big air and slope style. Love that slope style. Eight hundred meter course, a series of obstacles. Each course around the world is different. You never know what you're going to get, but they are similar in a sense that you know there's going to be jumps, you know there's going to be rails. It's about your flair, your style, your creativity and the technicality of your tricks. And then that's all totaled together to form a score. You get two runs, one run counts. So, um, So you just take the best score... The pressure's on, though. You fall down, you put a hand down, you're Can't out. put your hand down. You're out of the game. It's about everything being clean and wow. precise. So there's a lot of precision there. Uh, I think people watch our sport and sometimes think, oh, wow, that's so loose as people just flinging themselves off jumps. <laughs> but there's so much more to it. And then you've got big air. You, again, 
It's just one whopper jump. Sick. Uh, it ranges from 25 to 30 metres in distance and it's about doing your biggest and best trick. So it's a real all-in mentality. Unreal. You never really know who's going to win, but you know the big hitters, the big tricks they've got and you've just got to prep the best, biggest trick you can possibly do. And at the end of the day, the focus is all internal. You know, you can watch the top female snowboarder or the top male snowboarder doing their, you know, cab double 1080. But what's that? That's a switch double backflip with a 360 at the end. So that's like going down backwards, doing two backflips with a 360 and landing backwards. But you can't just do that. You need to prep it. Okay. <laughs> you know, there's so much to it. So uh, sometimes you get some wild cards and they'll pull something out of the bag on the day, but um, it's really about you turning up and doing the best you can do. So do you get to prep it before? Or do you get to have a little go on it? It's not a one run. It's not a one run show. It's, um, you know, you'll be out there, for example, like the test event in career. We went, we did the big air and we did the slope style two years before the games. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's, um, you know, they set up the course or something similar. Um, They trial it out to see if it will work in that location. And then you, yeah, you normally get two days practice. So it's about two to four hour sessions for two days before it. Yeah. uh, To get used to the jumps because no jump is ever the same. No matter where you are in the world, they always change. Um, You could ride the jump at the Olympic test event on the Monday and then if it rains overnight on the Tuesday it's going to be really icy so things change and you you really have to learn to adapt no day on a snowboard in the life of a snowboarder is ever the same wow and you've had some quite big achievements you were the first woman to do a double that is correct in the x games I think it was in 2012 um that was quite early on in your competing career then 2012. Yeah, 100%. Um, I think I'd maybe been to two X Games before that and I saw this window of opportunity. I'd always wanted to have a world first and it's like no one's gone upside down twice in a contest and landed it. Um, So that sort of became my mission. You will never, ever feel ready, like really ready to try a new trick. You know, you're always going to be nervous at the top. And I woke up, it was sunny, there was little wind, the jump was in good condition, my heart was beating and I felt positive, but I was like, oh no, what happens if it goes wrong? You know, there's always an if and a but, but I felt ready and uh, yeah, I I gave it a whip, as we would say in snowboarding and went around twice, got it to the feet. So I suppose that would have been... Summer 2011, and um, wow. sort of after that, it just became a mission to, you know, get it done in a contest. You know, yeah. taking something from training to contest is quite different. You've got a lot more variables, a lot more moving parts. You've not just got one jump; you've got three to contend with. So yeah. you're also juggling speed, uh, the rest of your run, the rest of the tricks. So yeah. it's like, how and when can I find the right course to put this in? And land it. And there were some successes. There were also not. I tried it in Juta, which is a very big contest in the States in the yeah. December. I ended up um, 
rupturing my AC joint, no. which wasn't ideal. So then you're dealing with fear, anxiety, nerves. Yeah. Um, but it was the end of the season in March was the X Games in teen and it slightly warmer, slightly softer jumps. And um, yeah, I think it was on my last run. I managed to put it to my feet. So the feeling of landing a new trick is euphoric and there's nothing that can beat that feeling. It's really, I'd find it hard to replicate that feeling now. You talk, you talk so uh, passionately about snowboarding, but not once have you mentioned about like you you wanted to win, or it, it's not for the external validation. It seems to me that you just genuinely love doing it, and it, I, the the energy and the passion is 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 contagious with you because you just take yourself off on these little missions. And, <laughs> I love a mission. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I've I've known you for for nearly a year now. And every now and again, you'll be like, "Right, I reckon we should go and we should go and do this," and and you really go after it. And I think for me, that's the difference between someone who's got an idea or just likes doing something, or someone who really has the balls and the guts to take it to as far as they as their potential. <laughs> yeah, I don't know whether that's a, a good thing or bad thing. I think it's a great thing. Missions are <laughs> there, you know, at the tip of your fingertips. It's that's a thing. I think. There's so much chat about like, oh, we, you know, like people in general, oh, well, blah, 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 only gets to do that because of blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, you can make it happen. You just have to get up and do it. Mm. Whether it's getting up out of bed and turning mm. up on time or whether it's it's being accountable yeah. and surrounding yourself by good people and I think with that, anything's possible. One of the biggest questions I get asked is how I stay motivated to be active beyond my day job as a trainer. I need to ensure I'm moving enough. And also if I have had a particularly active day, I need to ensure I'm fueling my body enough to perform. I can't talk enough about the benefits of managing your sleep and the quality of it. Going from a stressful or high-energy job to having to wind down and get an early night can sometimes be a challenge, and it definitely affects how I feel and how much energy I have the next day. My Fitbit helps me to track the various sleep stages I'm in, from light sleep to deep sleep, right through to REM. So if I haven't managed to get a solid seven to eight hours, I need to be aware that I might not be on top form for the next day. By tracking my personal stats through features like heart rate monitoring, active minutes over the day, as well as my sleep data, I have a much better understanding of my overall health. From the outside, you could probably look, you know, without knowing you and say, well, she's lucky. You know, oh. she, she, found, she found a sport and a woman in sport, she, she made it. But I have no doubt that there must have been many days where in the morning you've woken up and you're like, wow, like maybe I can't do this or maybe today's not my day. Or shall I tell you a story? I'd love to hear a story. Okay, so I've kind of got two different angles on this. Something this is not many people know about. Um, so it was 2013. The first Olympic Games for Slopestyle Snowboarding is February 2014. The year before, I was all about learning the double and doing the double. And I was expected to be at the Olympics. 
it wasn't even a question as to whether I'd be there. Oh, yeah, yeah, Amy's, you know, part of the team. She'll, she'll be there. But what you guys don't know and, and what people don't see in sport is what goes on behind the scenes. I think that needs to be exposed more. So I hurt my shoulder in the first qualifying event. So that was like December 2012. Right. Um, missed the second event, gammy shoulder. Third event was in Russia, got cancelled. Fourth event, I turned up, just didn't feel myself. It was minus 40. Mm. It was snowing. The jumps were big. The jumps were icy. I'll admit it now. I was scared and I wasn't ready to compete. So I pulled out. I hopped on a plane from Canada to America and just went and trained. I was like, I'm not ready for this. So I hammered, hammered it out and got my confidence back. Next event, Spain. Sat there in the fog for three days at the top of the Slopestyle course. It's the world champs. Cancelled. So how many contests have I done? One. Mm. <laughs> Half of one. Yeah. Um, New Zealand in the summer. That was my first opportunity to compete again. And awful weather again. Big course. A little bit nervous. Didn't do great. think I finished in the top 20. So, so far we've got one top 20 result. Wow. There's 24 girls that go to the Olympics. I'm currently 46th. Right. So don't stand a chance. It's the October before the Games. This is where the hype begins. And this is where, um, you know, mentally it gets tough. Um, it's the media day for the Olympics. I said to my mum, I don't think I should go. I've, 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 I've not qualified. I'm 46th. There's two events to go. The Olympics is in February. And my mum said to me, this is one thing. This literally has stuck with me forever. It gives me goosebumps. You are going unless someone tells you otherwise. And I was like, yes, you're right. Okay. She's like, I'll come with you to the media day. So we went. She sat around the back. I had interviews with the likes of BBC, Sky. They were all there. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm really looking forward to the Games in February. Uh, I've still got some qualifying to do, but, you know, I'm feeling good, feeling strong. So went into it with this positive mental attitude. December came around, so that was the first contest. Christmas was the most stressful thing I've ever had in my life, and no one saw that, and that's not something I, sh I ever shared. Um, it was really tough, and I was just looking ahead to that next and final last event to qualify. I was told I needed top six or better in the wow. final contest before the Olympics. Wow. I fell on the first run. So I started dancing with a friend, uh, Tora Bright. She's amazing. Uh, she's also a Roxy rider, Olympic champion, all around legend. She's five yeah. years older than me. So always been a big role model. And she was just like, just jam filler, just relax, you know. So we kind of danced at the top and I was like, I've got this. This is before your second run. Yeah. Final run. So, landed, ended up, I think, eighth. But that was just to qualify for the semi-finals. Okay. So then we've got two more days waiting what? around. Wow. So she's still not in the top six. You know, I was sort of like in the mix, but I hadn't done it yet. Finals day, semi-finals day rolled round. 
and I landed my first run. Such a relief. So I'd done it. I was in the top six. But then it depended, oh, what happens if Charlotte Van Gils from the Netherlands and Brooke, Brooke Voigt does something also mega. land? Yeah. <laughs> so it was all, all really up in the air and it was very stressful. Anyway, I got fifth. I wow. called my mum at the bottom and... I was like, I've done it. She's like, you've done what? I'm like, I've done it. And I burst into tears. And I think that that would be the one time that I let pressure get to me, yet also dealt with it. So in the qualifying period, the pressure of Amy being the it girl and the girl that could land the double maybe got to me. Yeah. And then it was like, wow, right, I've got to turn turn these gears, turn this around. and Yeah. You know, I've got this very, very small window to essentially change change the game. Yeah. And um, that was really, you know, mentally using pressure to my advantage to be there when it counted and yeah. being accountable when it counted the most. And that experience totally changed me as an athlete. Yeah. Going into the 2018 games, I qualified in the first season, even with a separated grade two lateral ligament on my ankle having put everything into it um and had my best season to date so I think those experiences mold you as an athlete you know people people have pressure there's highs and lows and there's so much mental ability that isn't factored into performance but so much is about it about your mental capacity to turn it on when it counts is this something that you just you have to find from within yourself to show up and and do your best where where does where did that come from I think it comes from within but it's also something that I want to share because that's something that as an athlete I've learned so much about and it's about finding your why um in whatever you do yeah you know like why are you doing it? What's your motivation? And your motivation can be something so small as as turning up on time to to learning that new trick or running that first marathon. And I think it's about setting these small achievable goals. And that's kind of been my motto in in my career and and in everything else I'm now doing. And it's for me set yourself a challenge something new every day no matter how small it is that one thing will keep you coming back time and time again yeah and that's kind of my why (laughs) I think I think in life and especially with social media and pressures that there are on women in particular I think is that we're so we're so focused on becoming the finished article yeah. And we see the finished article a lot because that's what people put out there. Yeah, a hundred percent. But but what we what we don't see is the the blood, sweat, and tears, the 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 why from years previous. Yeah. The things that moulded us, the the fact that your mother at that point told you, said exactly that to you, and that stuck with you. And yeah. that almost became part of your why, your motivation, because she was right. No yeah. one had told you you weren't going. Yeah. And if someone tells you something like that, there's always ways of overcoming it. It depends who it is. You know, there's so many scenarios, but I think it's just staying true to you and what 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 you want to achieve. Um, 
set your set your goals, set a dream, set a standard and chase it and and don't let anyone get in your way. That's powerful. That's very powerful. It's so true though. Like I'm that's one thing that I'm I'm really passionate about. Um it, it's like unless someone physically stops you, yeah. Then why would you let it stop you? Don't be afraid of straying off the path. If you're hungry enough, you'll get what you want. I agree. And I think you've been an incredible example of that. And I think you amongst some incredible other female athletes are truly changing the game. It's an amazing time to be a woman in sport. And there I've been amongst many conversations to say, yeah, but women's sport just isn't as popular. But it's it's not as well supported or yeah. like if you think about the gender equality in pay in sponsorship deals in pretty much everything how do you go about truly changing the game as as a as a leading woman in in sport i think for me for starters i've never ever let that be a barrier or a hurdle or something i've ever even paid any attention to I think it's about staying true to you and what you want and people really genuinely value you or a person if they're true to themselves because I believe that things will come to you if you chase your own success. Look at Dina Asher-Smith. Yeah. She is absolutely crushing it. Yeah. And if she focuses on what she loves and what she truly believes, which she is, she will have success and she is. You know, she's the front cover of Elle magazine this month. It's incredible. Amazing. She's breaking barriers. And I think there's a positive spin on anything and that's one thing I've always done. It's like, okay, all right, that might not have happened. But you know what? That's because this is going to happen instead. And if you set your mark as a female in the sports industry... There is a place for everyone. It's just about finding your niche, finding your why and being true to yourself, your fans and your audience. And people want to be a part of that. It's authenticity. The authenticity of a real sportswoman empowering other females is something that people are are drawn to. I'm inspired. So brands will be inspired and brands are going to want to work with more females. Yeah. We need ways to expose the talent. Exactly. I completely agree. I think as a as a youngster myself, all I wanted to do was play football, but who could I look up to? There wasn't the the exposure of, of women in football. So my I like I just loved Ian Wright and Dennis Burkamp and and actually when I think about it and having gone to watch the Lionesses play, like there's some incredible talent out there that can inspire future generations and people just haven't seen it yet. It's not that it's not there. It's there and it's happening and we're going to see it this summer. I really, really believe it. I'm very excited about the Women's World Cup, the netball, there's cricket, we've got Wimbledon. Yeah. And I love watching males and females do their thing. For me, it's inspiring. Um, But I think we need to continue this trend. It needs to not just be the summer of sport. Yeah. It needs to be the year of sport. Yeah, the year of female sport, the year that these strong, empowering females are exposed to the media and they become the future role models for 
other other ladies in sport, other other people in general. I mean, we've just recently um, mental health week. The theme for this year was around body image, and you know, body image as we know is how we perceive ourselves of the view of view of others. And I really feel strongly that if we continue to see this diversity of women that are successful at any shape, size, whatever it is, they're strong. That will inspire, you know, a, a young girl one day to be to relate to someone and say, "Hey, like I, I can relate to that. That's I can do that too." Rather than just seeing the same stereotypical body yeah, image out there, a hundred percent. And I think it's it's about creating an awareness and ex- and an excitement about mass participation. Yeah, it's not about necessarily being really good at something it's about enjoying it yeah and that's where the why comes in yeah going down to the park and having a kickabout to celebrate the launch of the football you know there's a bunch of rad females out in france playing football cool you don't have to be good you don't have to be good at something to enjoy it and that's one thing i think i'm quite passionate about like i almost prefer being the punter in the group i i went mountain biking the other day with my brother and he was absolutely ripping lines. And so many people are, just expect you to be good at something because yeah. you're a sports person. And sometimes I find that yeah. even in fitness classes. Yeah. And it's like, no, sometimes the enjoyment comes from learning something or maybe not being yeah. quite so good at it. And I think it's really important for those females and males listening to this. It's like, you don't have to be good at something to do it. Yeah. You just have to enjoy it. Yeah. And that's where health and mental well-being comes into play. It's do something because you love it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I also, I think it's very important to share, um, both Amy and I decided to go quite rogue this year, away from our, our normal sports. Um, Amy went a little bit extreme, but uh, from from border to double marathon runner in the space of eight weeks... It was three. Three weeks. It was not even, it was two and a half. <laughs> of course it was. So how do you apply your your mindset, your Olympian mindset to something like a marathon? Is it the same? Is it just, uh, you know, taking each step as it comes, not giving up? What 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 um, what were you thinking? How did, what was your game plan? My game plan was to not overthink it. I think with um, a lot of things we do, there's a lot of preparation um, and a lot of overthinking. And my how of getting through it was to not overcomplicate it. I think if I had really thought about the impact, the load, the amount of time on my feet, doing London two and a half weeks later, it really would have been um, a very stressful experience. So yeah. I decided to just really be present and with no phone, that was ever so impossible. And yeah. it was really about enjoying the unique experience of how random and how lucky I was to be there to be doing it. So I just took it all in. It was, um, okay, let's treat this as a run where I'm going to get to see some pretty unique things. Yeah. And um, it was lo- it was a long old road, but, yeah. um, you know, those last, you know, four or five miles, as you would know, in a marathon are, are deep and dark places. And yeah. And then it's learnings to take on in two and a half weeks to be like, right, 
yeah. now I've got all this support. Now I'm running side by side with your with your mum. Yeah, it was, um, you know, London was just a totally different experience with all the people. And, you know, having done career, I could just then share the sort of knowledge I'd, I'd gained from doing one there with my mum. And, you know, at 18, 19 miles when times got dark in London, it was like, you know, we we can do this. We're we're in this together. And one of the magical moments for me was when she started to get her stride going the last sort of mile and we came around that corner. You could see Buckingham Palace. And yeah. I held her hand and was like, oh. I'm so proud of you. You know, all those miles of training on her own and to, you know, hold my mum's hand, hand in hand and cross that finish line was like, was really, really magic. There's not many things in my sporting career that I've had the opportunity to share that such close proximity and it not be a competition. It really just about being there, being present and enjoying every moment of it. It's amazing to hear you talk about doing it for the enjoyment. I think there's so much pressure, even it's just the marathon, you know, people are doing it for different reasons, charity, whatever, but just to enjoy it, set yourself something that's a bit scary yeah. and give it a go. Yeah. Find something obscure or find something you love and rain off the pressure. Pressure is self-inflicted. Yeah. I think, you know, you can have sponsors on board, you can have, you know, your work colleagues sponsoring you or doing it for a charity and there's so many magical reasons why people run but if you can scale it back and just be present in the moment and just be like, this is magic. I'm so lucky to be able to run. Running is a gift. Yeah. Not everybody can run. Being able to walk, wake up each day is a gift. And when I scale things back to put things in perspective, I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I am blessed to be able to wake up and run a marathon. I mean, you could do one tomorrow if you wanted. I don't want to. No, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> Can we do something else? Yeah, let's let's have a kick around, yeah, shall we? Yeah, we should, actually should. So for everyone that is listening, if you were to give them some advice, if they're inspired by your journey, by your worth, work ethics, your passion for, for your sport, but mainly your passion, I feel, for surrounding yourself with good energy and focusing on the intrinsic value of of basic movement and going from there what would you what would you tell everyone listening to go and do do something crazy or what whatever it is what what's the what's their next steps i wouldn't even say do something crazy so the one phrase i would love to share with everyone is try something new every day no matter how small it is that one thing will keep you motivated and keep you coming back time and time again. Mm. So whether it's brushing your teeth with your eyes closed on one foot tonight <laughs> or, or whether it's that go. it getting right. into bed backwards, just do something <laughs> random that's achievable that makes you question your why. <laughs> set, set a standard, set a goal, Set small, short-term achievable goals as well. Yeah. Um, I've given myself a bit of a goal and my biggest motivation to stay true to myself and I catch myself when I fall off the bandwagon is set yourself 
a physical goal rather than an aesthetic goal. Yeah. Because that's not motivating. I agree. I agree. So, Amy Fuller, what is next in the Fuller life? Stuff you can share. Maybe something you can't, that's all right. What can you tell us is up next? Okay, up right, right next in the Fuller Life episodes, if you're tuning in, <laughs> is going to be myself and Jamie Nichols, a great friend of mine, professional snowboarder. Yeah. He is my G- Team GB brother. Um, you are going to see us in the gym doing all things active and stunting to motivate you to train for that winter body. Winter Love bodies it. are built in the summer. No one says that. This is a new thing. Yeah, exactly. So um, that is that is. The we want to be cold and hench. <laughs> cold and hench. Yeah. Yes. Strong. All right, so that's next up for you. Yeah. Maybe a bit of football as well. Let's see, Laura. We, we have I to... I think we should. We have to get that one dialed I in. I feel like Amy and I could make a fantastic football team. And listen, if anyone is listening, there is no football team in the west of London. And we are so keen. I'm nervous because I feel like I might be rubbish. In my head, I feel like I'm still very good. Well... Are you any good? No. Right. I mean, I, I like to, to do, I like to do kicky-ups... I feel like that could be fun, but okay. throw me on a pitch. I can run, but I don't know how well I can dribble. <laughs> right. Well, this might be more interesting than I thought. <laughs> well, I think on that note, I want to say thank you so much, Amy. You are a true inspiration. Not only are you a, a high-achieving Olympian, but you're a super, super cool human. Aww, and, um, cheers, I, Laura. I, I, you're as, as are you. Well, you know, it's one of those things that we just got to go out there and do our best. And whatever happens, we'll deal with it at the time. Yeah. And, um, and I think that's got you very far. Hustle strong, big smile, and be passionate about whatever it is you're doing. And get hench. Yeah. Eat kale. (laughs) That's an old motto we've got going on, isn't it? Kale, powered by kale. Powered by kale, yes. No, don't really. Don't eat kale. Spinach. (laughs) (laughs) This could go on for ages. Thank you so much, Amy. And um, thank you to all the listeners. And uh, tune in for next week's episode. And that's it, team. Another episode down. And as ever, I want to round this up with a final thank you to all the gang at Fitbit. Because without the team there, this podcast wouldn't be possible. Using all the resources I can access with my Fitbit means I can utilise personalised insights and have guidance on how to improve my overall health and well-being. At the end of each day, I like to check my stats to just evaluate my day and gives me the reassurance I need that I am pursuing a healthy and active lifestyle. See you next time, team.